Hello, Common Ground. Uh, if you're joining us and you're a visitor and you're new to us, my name is Luke, and I really am excited to share a message with you on this special day. Today, we remember and we celebrate the contribution of mothers into all of our lives. And so I've got a special message uh, with you in mind, moms, as we look at God's Word together. It's been an interesting journey preparing this message, in all honesty. I'd, you probably wouldn't know, but I've been part of the advanced theology course that Andrew Wilson put together. So it means every week at 5.30 in the morning, we jump on a Zoom call and uh, we discuss together what God's been saying to us as we work our way through the Bible together. And um, one session in particular grabbed me. I saw something in that theology course that I'd never seen before. And uh, that's what I want to talk a little bit about today. Uh, it's, it comes from Genesis chapter 4. And so if you've got your Bibles, why don't you make your way there together? And, uh, and it speaks about Eve. Eve being, and it's being Mother's Day today, the first mother in all of Scripture. And so I want to look today at the first mother that we see in the Scripture. And today's message is entitled, Eve and the Promise of God. Eve and the Promise of God. It should be fresh in your minds if you're a common grounder and you're with us as we've just uh, a few weeks ago finished our origins journey. And we looked in our origins journey at the big questions of life. Who is God? What is God like? Who are we as human beings? We looked at work and rest. We, we looked at purpose and meaning, but we also looked at what has gone wrong with our world. As we looked at Genesis chapter three, and this is where we're gonna to start today. I don't think there's a sadder story in all of scripture and all of the world as what we read in Genesis chapter three. And although the facts of the fall are recorded really briefly in Genesis three, what we, what we read there is the origin of all sorrow and suffering and death. Every sad thing that has ever happened in human history finds its way back to start in this moment. It tells the story of brokenness between our relationship with God. It tells the story of brokenness between our relationship with one another, even, even brokenness in our relationship between men and women. It, it twists the nature of the relationship that we have with our work and with our world. In, in the midst of this Genesis chapter three story of so much loss though, there is woven in this glorious promise. And that's what I want to speak to today. It's a promise of hope. And it's latched onto by Eve, the first mother, more than anyone else. Take a look with me, Genesis chapter three, and let's read verse six together as we find ourselves back into that story in that garden all those years long ago. Let's read together. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And so here, here we are, Adam and Eve, they take of this fruit and they eat of it. Remember, it's not so much just about sneaking a, a piece of fruit, but it was a symbolic act as well. It was, I mean, whether it was an exit sign to get away from relationship with God or a fruit that they ate, it was just the means. Now, what this was, was an act of defiance. It was an act of independence. It was an act of autonomy as human beings walked away from God. That's what was going on there. And, and then the first thing we see is that God comes looking looking for them. God comes and seeks Adam and Eve out. And for the first time, they hide away from God. 
They're afraid because they are naked. It's like their vulnerability and exposure is suddenly, uh, they're aware of it and they hide away from God. But God presses in and he seeks them out. In verse 11, God speaks to them and he says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave it to me and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. Everyone is blaming everybody else. Verse 14, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Let's pray together as we open God's word. Father, would you speak to us today? Teach us of the promise in this text, God. Show us of its relevance to our lives. We ask, Father, that you would speak to us of the hope that is there found for us as you promised to defeat uh, evil and injustice in our world. Come and speak to us, we pray, Lord. Amen. Okay, let's step back into the story. You've got to imagine what it was like for Adam and for Eve. All of the evil and all of the suffering in the history of the world can be traced back to this moment in history. Uh, It was literally the single most destructive act in the history of the world. I've often wondered though, how much of the consequences they really understood, how much of what they had done they grasped in that moment. I'm not sure if they realized just how much of the future would have been impacted, but at the very least, there would have been an immense sense of loss and failure a huge overwhelming sense of regret at a mistake that they've made. Now, what we're gonna do for the rest of the day is we're gonna zoom in on Eve. I wanna be clear, this is not because I'm saying she's more guilty than Adam, etc. This is simply because it's Mother's Day and we're looking at the role of the first mother. Can you imagine the guilt and shame and sense of regret and remorse that Eve felt in that moment? The absolute sense of hopelessness to be able to do anything to put it to right. I don't know if you've ever done something horrific. Have you ever done something so terrible that the moment you'd finished it, you you, you just, you straight away wish you could take it back. You would have given anything in that moment to just take back time to, to... It reminds me of a song, that a very old song that many of you wouldn't know. It's a song by a woman named Anna Nalik. And the lyrics of the song in the bridge, they go like this. She says, because you can't jump the track. We're like cars on a cable. As much as you wish you could, you could pick up that carriage and put it, take it back, it's, it's fixed there, it's joined, it's in place, it can't go. She continues, she says, life's like an hourglass that's glued to the table. All you wanna do is turn it back, can I turn it back, can I, can I retake that? She says, no one can find the rewind button girl, so cradle your head in your hands. I don't know if you remember the song, but it just speaks in that moment to that sense of I can't believe what I've done. I would give anything to take it back, but I'm unable to do so. And sadly, as this story unravels throughout history, the rest is, as they say, history. Yet, in the midst of all that is lost, there is a promise 
of something that God would do. And, uh, and we read it in verse 15 together. I'll read it again. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. It's interesting that the first curse, the first consequence of the fall is not spoken to Adam or Eve. It's in fact spoken to the serpent. The first consequence we see from God is a promise and it's addressed to the serpent. The consequences, well, there's a temporary one. It's you'll, you'll, you'll forever be on your belly kind of thing. You'll be below all the other livestock. That, that's temporary because there's an ultimate curse here that one day a seed, a descendant will come from the woman. One day he will come and he will crush the head of the evil one. He will crush the Satan. It's a final ultimate promise bringing an end to evil and suffering in the world as God promises through the seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent, although it will come at a cost to that seed, to that offspring. It will, there, there will be a strike on his heel. It won't be an ultimate strike. That's why it's just on his heel. The ultimate strike will come to the head of the serpent, but something, there will, there will be a cost to this seed. And what's happening is God is addressing the Satan, if you will. But it's clear here that Eve is listening in. Eve is, excuse the pun, she's eavesdropping in this conversation. And she hears this promise of death that is gonna come to the Satan, but it somehow centers in around the woman and this promised descendant to her. Eve, who is filled with regret, Eve, who is filled with remorse, latches onto this promise. And here's what she hears. She hears that through me will come a descendant who is promised and it's promised that he will crush the head of the evil one. He will break and undo something of that which I have done in this garden. I never quite before this theology course understood just how powerfully Eve latched onto it. Come and look with me. If you flip one page over to Genesis chapter four and let's see together how Eve grabs hold of this, this promise. Genesis chapter four is one of the darkest chapters in all of scripture. What we see there is we see Adam and Eve have now been excluded from the garden. They're no longer in the garden of Eden. They're now outside. They're separated and cut off from the presence of God. And sin as we, is alive and it's at work within humanity and within human relationships. And so now we see the outworking of their decision away from God in the garden, working its way out in every human interaction. And we see it uh, in this chapter all over. Chapter four is the story of Cain and Abel. That's what it's famous for. But it's bookended by the most incredible glimmers of hope that come through Eve. Take a look, verse, uh, chapter four, verse one and two together. Now, Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and she bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother, Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain was a worker on the ground. What happens is Genesis chapter four, verse one and two, focus in largely on Eve. She becomes the main character in this, this little mini narrative. Eve who conceives Cain, Eve who bears Cain, Eve who names him and Eve who praises God. I mean, it's her, Adam gets a brief mention. He's there in a very kind of minor way, but it's Eve who conceives, she bears, she names as well as she praises God. It's, it's like the whole thing centers in around her. And she, she, 
She's fulfilling, I suppose, the name she was given. Eve means life giver. And she's bringing life into the world. It's exactly what she's doing. She's fulfilling her, in a sense, destiny to bring life to the world. And she names her son Cain, which means I've gotten a son with the help of the Lord. Almost gotten is the, 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 the one word if we were to distill it down. But it means I've gotten a son with the help of the Lord. And what she's doing is she's praising God. God, I praise you. You've given me a son. I've gotten a son with your help. And she's showing her dependence on God. Then she names her second son. His name is Abel or Chabel. Chabel is probably a more accurate way of saying Abel. And, and Chabel means vapor or breath. She names him vapor or breath, like, like vapor, which is there in an instant and then gone in the next. I don't think in any way she was prophesying Abel's death as much as she's looking back on what took place in Genesis 3 and she's saying how fleeting and how momentary life is now because of what happened in the garden. And then Genesis chapter four continues and it traces out, again, really tracking with the men. We, we started with Eve in verse one and two and then it's the dudes who come into play. And guys, I'm sorry to say, this is not the high point in male history, right? It's, it's a chapter that is filled with envy and murder and polygamy and revenge and then boasting about it all, right? Cain kills Abel in this chapter. Lamech uh, brags about just how evil he kind of is. It's a very dark and carnal time in human history. But what's going on here is the fruit of sin, the fruit of that step in the garden away from God into independence and autonomy from him that is working its way out in human relationships. But what is really interesting is in our Bibles, chapter four is bookended by these powerful moments in Eve's life. Look how chapter four ends. After all of this carnage and after all of this darkness, we've read verse one and two, we've seen the middle is bad. Look at the end. And Adam knew his wife again and she bore a son and she called his name Seth. For she, for she said, God has appointed for me another offspring, another seed instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth was also born a son and he, and he called his son Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Again, we see it's Eve who bears and then Eve who names and then Eve who praises God, but this time for her third son and his name is Seth. She names him God's appointed. Seth means God's appointed. And in doing, in, in doing so, what she's doing is she's recognizing the faithfulness of God and God's hand in fulfilling his promise. It's such a beautiful name when you think about all that it means and all that it represents to her. God has appointed, saying because Cain has been disqualified, because Abel is gone, God has appointed another seed. God's promise is not gone. It's still there. I'm gonna trust him. God has appointed another one to carry on the snake crusher, right? Can you imagine what a roller coaster ride it must have been like for Eve? I mean, she starts out in the heights of being God's literal handmade maiden. She is handmade by God and wakes up as his, uh, as his maiden and then goes from there to the dismal depths of the fall. The, the guilt, the shame, the sense of regret, the utter helplessness at being able to do anything to fix it. Could you imagine the sense of failure and loss that she carried? She'd say, I messed up. 
but she heard God say in the wake of her mess up, one day he would send the snake crusher. One day he has promised to put this thing to right. And I grabbed onto that promise with all my heart. I can imagine her saying, I didn't know how, I didn't know when, I didn't know when that was gonna take place in my life, but I am trusting that God is gonna do what he said he's gonna do. And she latched onto that promise. And then she had Cain and she kind of, in a sense, she knew, she said, God has, God has promised, Cain, I've gotten, finally it's come. This promise that God gave to me, this promise that I latched onto, this promise that God spoke to me on the worst day of my life when there was nothing I could do to fix it. He spoke a promise and now has come the son. And so I'm, I'm, I'm naming him because God, I've gotten him. This promise is gonna be fulfilled by God's help. And then she gets the tragic news one day that Cain has killed his brother. And she knows, she knows what it means. Not just has she lost her one son, but even the other one has been exiled. He's been excluded in a sense from the promise. She thought that that promise that day died with her son and, 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 and all, help, all hope was lost. And then comes Seth. God has appointed. Yes, he hasn't given up. His promise is not over. And God is faithful. God has kept his promise. Those words that God spoke to me in the garden on the worst day of my life, when I thought it was all done, he is true. He is faithful. Look, God has appointed another one to continue this work that he's gonna do in bringing about the snake crusher. God is faithful. And what we see here is Eve, who is holding on to the promise of God and God who is fulfilling faithfully that which he promised to do in the story. And so now she names him God's appointed because she's gonna praise the Lord. And, and it's at this moment, at the birth of Seth, when Seth is born and, and the promise of God is, 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 is coming in, that light begins to dawn on the most horrible of chapters in all the Bible. Uh, chapter four, we see that light and hope come as we read together. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. It's as if the, 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 the text is putting these things together. The promise of God, the promised seed is coming and then life begins to come as people begin to call on the name of the Lord. It's through the birth of the appointed son that, that hope comes to the story, which before was dismal. Now light is shining. What I want us to see here today is Eve is clinging on to the promise of God. She believed God. In the past, she, dis, she disobeyed, she disbelieved. Remember what the serpent came to her and said in the garden. He said, did God really say, I always thought about, well, for much of my life, thought about that first sin as a kind of act of selfish defiance against God. But I think, and, and it is, don't get me wrong, I'm beginning to think more and more that primarily it was the sin of a doubting who God really is, a lack of faith and trust in who God really is that drove that decision. The first sin was a disbelief. Did God really say, is God holding out of you? Can you really trust God? That's what uh, they did. She started by mistrusting God in the garden, in the garden. But now there's a second chance through this promise to trust God, to believe him, to hold on to this promise. And she does it through all of the roller coaster ride of life. I find it this beautiful, inspiring story. It's remarkable because she starts out really as a baddie in the story. It was Adam and Eve who opened the door to all of this stuff. So much sin comes into the world through their decision in that garden. But now through trusting God, 
this very same woman who brought so much death and destruction into the world is carrying in the gospel to the world. The the same person who opened that door in, in disbelief of God, now as she believes in God and she trusts on God, is is ushering life into the world as she's literally carrying the gospel in her physical body as the promised evil defeater, the promised snake crusher, that seed, that line would come through her. She who blew it has now become part of the solution for what God is doing to heal our world. Light is coming to humanity and it's coming through her own body and she holds on to this promise. Mothers, this is an incredible story. It's an incredible provoke to raise and disciple children in the ways of, the God, of, the ways of God, in the ways of the gospel. But I also wanna say it's so much broader than just child rearing and child bearing in this passage. Well, Eve, after all, is called the life giver long before she ever has a child. In fact, I believe we're all called to, in some way, to metaphorically bring life, bring the life of the gospel into the world in which we've been placed, to trust God is faithful, to trust in God's promise to do what he's gonna do in and through our lives, whether it be through rearing children, whether it be through, through volunteering in Next Gen and Kids Rock, whether it be through leading a life group, whether it be in sharing your faith, you, you bring the gospel, you bear the gospel, and then you, you birth the gospel into the world in and through your life as salvation comes to others. Eve is the most incredible example of someone who trusts God and trusts God's promise. And through that, life comes into her world. Ladies, it's Mother's Day. And I wanna want say this pattern continues. It's not just with Eve. We see many women who trust the promise of God and bring life into the world in the scriptures. I think of Sarah, I think of Hannah, as she, she births her boy, Key Samuel. I think of Elizabeth and John the Baptist. Ultimately in Mary, the snake crusher is born. She's spoken a promise to God of this coming snake crusher, if you will, who would be born to her supernaturally. And she trusts God. She holds onto the promise and life comes to the world. God is bringing hope and life to otherwise helpless situations as we trust him to ultimately do what only he can do. He is faithful and he triumphs and the gospel comes to our world. Through Seth and through Seth's descendant and Seth's descendant and his descendant and his descendant, etc., ultimately culminating in the womb of Mary as Christ is placed there. The snake crusher is born and he will defeat sin and he will defeat evil and he will defeat death. All the whilst holding to the promise of God through the generations, the snake crusher comes. And today I wanna to say to you this as well. The same promise is still at work in our lives as well. The same promise of God to to redeem the world, the same promise to work through you and to work through me, giving us an opportunity today to experience the redeeming power of Christ in our lives. Perhaps you uh, can identify something with Eve of making a hash of life, making a mess of it and being unable to fix it. That was Eve. That 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 was where we met her in the story today. Yet it was this ray of light that came. It was this promise that God said, no matter what you've done, there's nothing that you have done that could come close to what Adam and Eve did in the garden. Absolutely nothing. And yet their sin was not too great. 
to be able to nullify the saving work of God because he is faithful and he transforms the situation and he brings new life with his death. That's true for you as well. If you would like Eve, trust God's promise to you. Put your life in his hands and trust that he can do a redeeming work through you. There's no sin you could ever commit. There's no mistake you could ever make that is so terrible that God cannot redeem you. Eve stands forever as a marker of the power of Christ to redeem every life, to work through and to bring hope to our world. The key is to trust God, to put your faith in him. We must land, but let me land by just simply celebrating the role that Eve played in trusting the promise of God and the invitation to each of us to say, let's like Eve trust and believe upon the work of God, that God's work is still going on in and through our lives into our city. Will you like Eve carry that promise? Will you like Eve see it worked out in our world? Like Eve, we bring the promise of God to bear in the city of Cape Town as we share the gospel with others, as we seek to to love them and lead them toward Christ as well. And now we give ourselves to the outworking of this promise spoken all those years ago to Eve through Mary, through Christ, into your life, into my life and out into the city of Cape Town. Let's be those common grounders who trust the promise of God and who faithfully give ourselves to seeing the gospel worked out in our lives as we trust that he truly is faithful. And I pray for us today. Father, for those who would identify with Eve in the garden, who's blown it, who've messed up, who think we've committed mistakes that are so terrible that we're outside of the reach of your saving grace. I pray that today you would speak truth to us, that you are a God who redeems all lives who trust you. Eve trusted you. Would you put your trust in Jesus right now? Jesus, I acknowledge that, yes, I've done terrible things. There's so much that I've done that would cause me to be separated from you, but you and your promise are greater and stronger. Would you forgive me, Christ? Would you sweep me up into this redeeming work that you are doing in the world? As I yield my life to you now, as I trust you, I put my faith in you, Jesus. For those of us who want to give ourselves to this mission now, let me pray for you. Christ, as we as a church seek to see the gospel come to our city, God, would you sweep us up? God, we wanna be gospel carriers. We wanna carry your truth. We want to carry your light. And we want to share that as we share it into our world, in our networks, in our neighborhoods, with our friends and with our neighbors, Lord Jesus. Would you, Lord, um, use us as we seek to serve you in the city, God? I'm freshly enlisting to be a part of the outworking of your gospel promise to defeat sin in our world, to defeat death in our world, to bring hope to all lives. So Jesus, I pray that you would send us out as a church as to be a people who, who grab a hold of your saving power and work it out in our lives. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.